0: Proverbs chapter four says this: "says I have directed you in the way of wisdom, I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble." Now, the writers of the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, often try to paint pictures with their words to give us a greater understanding. And something to remember. One of the common pictures we see in the Bible of someone following after God is that of someone being on a path. It's mentioned over and over again. When someone tells you that the Christian life is, the, is a journey, like we say here often, what do you picture? Some people picture railroad tracks where once you get on the journey with God, maybe there's a little fear here because once you get on His track, like there's just no way of getting off and there's no freedom found in that. And, but the scripture doesn't paint that picture. For us, many of us would picture like modern paved roads with, with painted lines, with signs and arrows. But a, a modern road would not be the case in Proverbs. The word in Proverbs 4 that maybe you have seen before, upright path, or in some translations, righteous path, is actually a very specific word picture. The word in Hebrew actually comes from the word for cart. Now, I don't really have anything to picture from the ancient world with this, but what I picture is uh, the American West, the frontier. How many of you have spent any time watching like old westerns? Anybody do that? Yeah, My mom forced that upon me when I was, uh, when I was a child... Um, the woman was in love with John Wayne in a very special way. And some of you ladies can relate, maybe, maybe not. And um, I watched everything that was that was put in front of me as far as the Old West. But when you think of the Old West, you think of the wagon trains rolling west. And over time, they, there weren't roads for them to go on. They made the roads. And so over time, as they traveled the same direction, over the same path, over and over and over again... In the Old West, they were making ruts in the roads so that those who came after them could see the way that was taken by the ones who had gone before them. This is the word picture that Proverbs is giving us an upright path. It's this idea that there's a rut in the road, there's a path in the road, and someone has traveled this way before so that we can know which way to go. Author Lois, Lois Torver says it this way. When we speak of walking in God's path, we are talking not just about traveling in personal roads. Rather, God is calling us to put our feet in his own footprints and travel on a journey that he himself has walked before us. And then the author of Proverbs makes a progression and does it in a very specific way literary structure. The author makes a progression and says, run. The word there is just so filled with intensity, with passion. You walk along this road for a while, you get going down the right path, you see clearly which way to go, and after a while you get this understanding that now it's clear for you, you can run and not be impeded. You can go for it with everything you've got. You've heard sayings like, you got to crawl before you walk like you got to walk before you run and the author here is saying that very same thing he's making that very same kind of progression to use an sec football term that some of the men here would understand it's the idea that once that big running back gets the ball and he starts going downhill is the phrase that nothing would stop him The same progression and literary device is used in a very familiar verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The verse is saying that for those who continually, day after day, put their hope in God, life will have difficult moments. Life will have challenges still. There is no doubt about that. But there can be a stability and a strength for people who first crawl with God and then walk with God and then get up a confidence on the path to where they know they can run after God with everything they've got. They can run without danger. They can run without anything getting in their way Even when things get difficult, you will not be impeded. You will not stumble. You will not trip and fall if you run along this path that God has clearly marked out for you. The author says, run. And then turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the verse we're gonna camp on and unpack throughout our next few moments. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, already marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. Now, when I say the word run, What do you think of? Maybe you think of, for me, I didn't say this first service. For me, I grew up watching uh, Friends. I don't know if you ever watched the show Friends. If you did, do you remember Phoebe running? I get that picture in my head. It's this person kind of flailing about, and it's like the craziest looking run, and you feel like this is why I don't go running, because other people will see me and mock it, and we would. (laughs) But for some of you, when you think of running, you think of having to make a sudden movement, maybe that is not of your choosing. In Darlington, Maryland, several years ago, Edith, a mother of eight, God bless Edith, was coming home from a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon. She peered through the screen door and saw that five of her youngest children were huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them... Trying to discover what was at the center of their attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack-dab in the middle of her five youngest children were five baby skunks. Edith screamed at the top of her voice, Quick, children, run! Each one of her children grabbed a skunk by the tail and they took off and ran. Having to do something suddenly that you weren't planning on. Some of you think of the idea of you're supposed to be running, you're supposed to be exercising, you have really good intentions, but you just can't quite pull it off. I can relate. I'm right there with you. Did you know this is just funny to me? 87% of Americans who own running shoes do not actually use them to run. What a country. you got to love it. 87% of us own running shoes, a majority of which were bought sometime in early January. And yet we still are not running. <laughs> to run is to go after something with all your strength is what the author is telling us. He gives us this idea of running continually. Go with it with all your might. Just to put this word out there as a command, as a message from God to say run comes with it some intense with some intensity keep going after something keep running the race until the race is through now in the new testament the author of hebrews whoever it might have been is also painting another picture would have had a picture on their mind as the picture of the ancient greek olympic games and to understand what's going on in hebrews 12 verse 1 you need to understand some things about these games first of all they were started and held in the honor of the Greek god Zeus. This is, there was this idea in the ancient world that the gods were looking in from their royal thrones and viewing the competition. And as they would gather, as they would put these games together, thousands upon thousands would come from everywhere in varying stadiums across Greece. I think they've got a picture of one that they're going to show for us. You would find these types of things all across the ancient world. They had the paths clearly marked for them. The games were clearly defined. And you would find as many in this stadium, they estimate as many as 30,000 people in the ancient world, It's quite a bit. It'd be a lot today. 30,000 people packed in, cheering these runners on, inspiring them, calling for them to do the very best they can so that they would get the prize. They would run every day They would train every day. They were known as being the best of the best, as they would be today an Olympic athlete. Everyday training, everyday faithfulness. Because they wanted the prize at the end so badly, yes. And because they wanted the accolades of the crowd around them. They wanted to hear those cheers, yes. And also because their God was watching. Oftentimes, when you think of athletics, when I think of athletes... You think of an individual. Our sports in America are more individualized than ever before. Even our team sports with free agency and all those kinds of things. But to make sure he's painting the right picture, the verse says, let us throw off everything that entangles. Let us throw off anything that might get in our way and let us run. In ancient Greece, a group of athletes and coaches who trained together would have been referred to as a tribe. And in any tribe, there would have been many athletes and most of the time, a majority of them, they'd all be training for different events. In other words, everyone could be different, but they were all in this together. Everyone could be focused on different sports and skill sets, but they were all in this Together. So together, they could be a part of spurring each other on to good works and to victory. And like I challenged our students last night, God has made each of you unique. He's given you all different skill sets. He's given you all different talents and strengths. You're not supposed to have anybody else's strengths. You're just supposed to have yours. And there are people in your sphere of influence that will be drawn to you. And this is true of us as adults as well. There are people who will be drawn to you for who you are. You're not supposed to be anything different than how God made you, fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Psalm 139, it's not just a verse for children, it's a verse for all of us, not just for our students, but for all of us fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You have the potential to reach somebody that nobody else can. And we're all in this together. And if we all get passionate about the mission of God together, it will spill over onto others to eventually we can reach a point where a whole community has been transformed by the gospel. That's the hope. That's the goal. That's what it means to get intentional about running after the mission of God. It's not just about running out and inviting people to church. That's a great thing. But it's about going out and every day and running the Christian race in such a way that others see you and they are drawn to the Jesus in you. And they just come to you and talk about it at work. They just come and talk to you about it on your street. They just come and talk to you about it at the gym because you're different. You're running a different race, you're on a different path. You're on a path that God himself has blazed the trail for you and you have the freedom and ability if you want to follow this path to run after him with everything you've got. One of the things that makes our race different, one of the things that makes our path different are the things that we are supposed to lay aside. The writer in Hebrews says to lay aside the weight. Now, I held on my high school varsity basketball team, I held the coveted 12th man position on the team. You'll get that later. There are 12 guys on the team. The, uh, and I decided, I also confessed to our students last night that I was a part of a state championship football team, and uh, very proud of that. I was the uh, hydration technician, <clears throat> water boy, on the team. And uh, so, anyway, yeah. Just keeping it real. So being the 12th man on the basketball team, being the 12th man on the basketball team, you get the idea of some of my high school athletic prowess. You get the idea. So I decided, though, my senior year, I really wanted to be good. I, I, I wanted to be fast. I wanted to be able to jump higher. And I know you look at me and you think he's probably really able to just fly. On, the, But I, I know you think that. I know you think my vertical leap is incredible. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. but It's just not that great and so I had a time in high school you're shocked I can tell uh, act shocked at least I um, had a time in high school where I put ankle weights on go to Walmart and buy ankle weights that weigh like a pound and a half because these were supposed to make me faster these were supposed to fix everything right so I buy these things and I, I walk around my house with them. my mom's asking what are you doing I'm going well clearly I'm in training <laughs> and so I just would keep these on for for days at a time, and, and I showed up to basketball practice one day with these on, and my coach was like, w- why are you wearing those? And I mean, coach, I mean, come on, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be the, the player that you've always dreamed of here in just a couple days, just give me some time here. And basically the idea was, go ahead and take those off, we don't need anything making you any slower. We don't need anything... <laughs> We don't need anything impeding your vertical leap any more than it's already challenged, okay? And the same thing is true here in this passage. This is race time. Lay aside the weight. And the author in Hebrews seems to be indicating through the language here that every single one of us have something that is unique to us that slows us down. When it comes to spiritual growth, we're talking about oftentimes specific sins. That we as Christ followers, if we're honest about it, we deal with perhaps on a daily basis. And it prevents us from running the race that God has for you. There's a list of these in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. It's the idea, you guys can leave that up. It's, there are lots of lists in Scripture. And they put this list up here in a moment. This is not a list that you really want to be able to associate with. But unfortunately, all of us can. All of us at some point struggle with something if we're honest with it. And if we want to be able to run after God, run the race that he has set out for us, run the race on the path that he has clearly marked, we have got to be willing to daily lay these things down. Verse 7 said, you used to walk in these ways. It's like he's saying you used to be on another path, but now with God being a Christ follower, here's the path you're on, so lay this stuff aside. And here they are. Rid yourselves of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. This is a cheery list, isn't it? Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Listen, it's like he's saying, you're not running that race anymore, So lay those things down and follow the path that God has made for you and run straight ahead. I got to tell you, as a communicator, even as a pastor, it's not fun to put that kind of list up in front of all of you. But let me just speak for me for a second, since this may not be true for you. I need to look at a list like that every once in a while. I need to look at a list like that and let the Holy Spirit of God convict me and let the Spirit say, you know what? There's some things on this list and some things associated with this list that I need you to lay aside so you can get down the path in the way that I want you to. I need you to lay aside a short temper. I need you to lay aside. Some of you struggle with different things every single day and you've gotten used to them. There's this idea in the scripture that these sins have become so familiar to you, you don't even realize they're sin anymore. Anger, greed, think about things like depression, anxiety, worry, self-loathing. Listen, I know there are some, definitely some credible things in this room to be worried about, to be concerned about, to be anxious about, But God says to run this race, here's how you you cast off the weight. Cast all that junk upon me because I care for you. And I don't want you to carry that stuff along life's path. I want you to be able to run. I want you to be able to run with everything that you've got. And some of you have let these familiar things into your heart and they're trapping your heart and they're not allowing you to run with Christ the way that you ought to be able to. The spiritual journey does not feel like a run to you. It feels like a drudgery because these things have come into your heart. Here's what Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Keep your foot off that old path. It's as if the scriptures are saying, you know what, you could veer off if you really wanted to and you could go a different way, but God has clearly marked off the path. You just need to lay aside all of that junk and some of you today need to let your heart be cleansed. Because when you're cleansed from the inside out, God can start a new work in you today, a fresh work in you this morning that gives you more strength and spiritual vigor than you've had in a long, long time so that you can run. God is calling us to run. How many of you feel like you're running with God today instead of running away from God today? Run. That's what he's called us to do. He says run to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly I do not fight like a boxer beating the air the way we live The way we work to become like Jesus and to accomplish the purpose of God should be a flat out run so that we can get the prize in these ancient Greek games. You know what the prize was at the end? Like this little wreath made up of bay leaves or whatever they could find. And it would fade in a few few days. I mean, people would cheer for you. You could hold it up. But it would fade. It would go away. And the Apostle Paul says, Look, If you run the race that Christ is calling you to run, if you run to get the prize, there is something so much better at the end. There is a crown that will not fade, a crown that will not go away, and the scriptures tell us we'll be able to take this crown and lay them back at the feet of the one we've been running for all along and make it an act of worship to Jesus. I want to run in such a way that I get the prize. I want to run to win because I want to give the prize back to my Savior who has made a way for me to run in the first place. So what else motivates you? What else could motivate you to run the race, to run the Christian race, maybe in a way many of you haven't run it in a long, long time? The scriptures say in Hebrews 12, that there is a great cloud of witnesses. It's coming right out of Hebrews 11, where there's this list of all the heroes of the faith and all the great things that they did, how they trusted in God, how they believed even when things got tough, and how they kept running the race no matter what was going on around them. And Hebrews 11 seems to indicate that if you picture the stands in these ancient Greek stadiums, that there are heroes, believers for ones who have followed Jesus before, who have moved on from this life into the next, that somehow in some mysterious way that we truly cannot understand, that they are in heaven today watching and cheering us on. Some of you have people who you have lost from this life and it hurts you every day. And I'm here to tell you today, you need to turn that grief on its head. And you need to realize that if those people were found to be believing in Jesus Christ, that they are in heaven today, cheering you on, cheering you on in the race. They're standing for you, they're applauding for you, and they're saying, Run! Go! It's worth it! I had a grandparent, I've lost two grandparents now, one of which, my granddad, I was very, very close to. And just meant a lot to me. Spent a lot of time with them. He was a minister of music in Lakeland, Florida. But over time, he had, he had done music ministry for over 40 years in Baptist churches. And about the time Westridge started, about the time we moved to Georgia in 97, his health really started to deteriorate. And one of the things that always bothered me was that he had never made it to church here at Westridge. He had he led worship in all kinds of places. There was a time where my family was one of those like singing quartets, you know, traveled all over. Can you imagine? Traveled all over Central Virginia and that kind of thing. And I think they were pretty good. I mean, there's nothing recorded to prove it, but they were good. And it just always bugged me that he didn't make it here. I remember when I was asked along with my uncle to preside over his funeral just a a few years ago now a few short years ago and I can remember saying something in the funeral that I I felt like God had given me very very clearly granddad had just passed away and I stood and I said can I tell you what's going to happen in just a couple days on Sunday my granddad is going to experience his first Westridge Church worship service. Because I believe that for those who've gone on before us, who have been found faithful, that every once in a while there are these moments in heaven where the Savior says, Come over here. And they come over to the balcony of heaven and they peer over and they say, you won't believe what they're doing right now. Let's cheer them on. Let's stand together. Let's cheer them on. Jesus and our loved ones side by side yelling, run! Go! Don't stop. Don't quit. No matter what. Can you imagine there is a crowd in heaven cheering you on today? Let you be in, I pray that you be inspired by that today, maybe like you've never been before. They are pulling for you. They're watching you. I'm always reminded that there are others watching as well. Some of you perhaps came to church today for the first time in a long time, and you're watching. You want to see, what is this church I've heard about? I've seen other churches, but heard about this one. You're wanting to see if what is here is real and of God. But most of the time, it doesn't happen in this room. Most of the time, it happens on your street, in your school. It happens at work. It happens in the gym. There are people watching us because they want to know if the race that you are running is authentic and and real, or if you're just playing. There are people every day watching us as Christ followers who desperately need Jesus, and you are the only Jesus they are ever going to see. We have got to run because the lives of others depend on it. And they see us fall and they see us stumble. But if we run with honesty and if we get back up and if we continue to lay aside the weight, if we work it out every day, we will run in such a way that will draw others to the Savior. And that needs to motivate us. We need to run as if people's lives depend on it. Because they do. Every year in Alaska, there's a 1,000-mile dog sled race. It's run for prize money and prestige, but it commemorates an original race that happened in 1926 a 6-year-old named Richard Stanley showed symptoms of diphtheria signaling the possibility of an outbreak in the small town of Nome Alaska the boy passed away after a day with the sickness the doctor in town dr Curtis Welch began to immunize children and adults with an experimental but an effective anti-diphtheria serum It wasn't long before Dr. Welch's supply ran out. And the nearest serum was in another village in Alaska, 1,000 miles away. 1,000 miles of frozen tundra away. Amazingly, as the story goes, a group of trappers and prospectors volunteered to cover the distance with their dog teams. Operating in relays from trading post to trapping station and beyond, one sled started out in Nome while another carrying the serum would go from another village. Oblivious to frostbite, fatigue, exhaustion, they mushed relentlessly until after 144 hours in minus 50 degree winds, the serum was delivered to Nome. As a result... Only one other life was lost to a potential epidemic. Their sacrifice had given an entire town the gift of life. I'm here to tell you today, there are people watching us every day, watching you every day, and their eternity might hang on whether or not you are willing to run run this Christian race with everything you got we're not to dabble we're not to quit we're not to take it easy we're to run like everything we do matters and run knowing that others are watching but there's one other command in Hebrews 12 it says this even though there's crowds Even though there's spectators who've gone before, the ancient Greeks, they were running for a primary reason, and that was their God, they believed, could see them. Writer of Hebrews says, Look unto Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The southern translation is fixing our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer, the one who's blazed the trail for us, the perfecter of faith. From the very beginning to the very end of the race, our goal is to lay everything aside and not worry really about who else is watching. We don't have to worry about it if we know that we are focused solely on Jesus. If we fix our eyes on him as we go down this path, nothing can stop us even when the challenges get great, even when things come to us from the right and to the left, we can stay on path. If we fix our eyes on him, we can win the race. We can win the race. I was amazed and shocked that two weeks ago an Ethiopian man won the New York City Marathon. Shocking. Ethiopian, Kenyan, I don't know what the, Those guys, they, they just win races. But in many ways, it was another runner whose race really inspired us and maybe a story that you heard. There was a miner from Chile named Edison Pena who really was a winner on race day. He was one of the miners who, prior to the race, had been trapped for 69 days underground in the mining accident that happened a few months ago now in Chile. Edison had never run marathon. In fact, he had never left his country before he arrived in New York a few Thursdays ago. I was asking, I was reading this after the marathon a couple weeks ago, and I remember turning to my wife and going, how in the world did he train? And I didn't know at the time that He had never run a marathon before. It'd be one thing if he was like this healthy guy and then had this horrible accident, and maybe how healthy he was was what helped sustain him underground. But that's not the case at all. He had never run before. Never run a marathon before, anyway. While he was underground, he did something amazing. I found this this week. There was a first opportunity when those guys thought they were going to be rescued. And it didn't work out. And Edison weighed the gravity of the situation and decided that the only way to mentally move forward was to start believing in his second chance before he even knew that a second chance would come. And so believe in that second chance, he did. Every day of their ordeal outfitted in steel-toed boots that he had cut down to high tops. Edison ran miles at a time through the mining tunnels half a mile underneath the surface. Edison said that the running became a form of spiritual sustenance. And there's a couple of quotes from him. He says this, and I quote, I was running to show I wasn't just waiting around. That I would be an active participant in my own salvation. He said this, I wanted God to see that I really wanted to live. I wanted God to to see that I really wanted to live let me ask you a question when God looks down at the race that you are running what does he see does he see passion fire Does he see intensity? Does he see someone who cares about others around them? Does he see someone who's running in honor of him? Does he see someone whose eyes are fixed on him and nobody else? Does he see you running? He says to all of us today, from wherever you are on the journey, Lay aside the weight. I'm cheering for you. Run! Get up! You've been laying down too long. Run! I'm the God of the second chance. Run! Run! May we run. Let's pray together. God teach us to run. I know that there are friends in here today. Life has got them beat up. They don't feel like running. Lord, your word says, let us run together. I pray that we would come around those who have slowed down in the room, and we would pick them up, and we would bring them with us, and that as a body of Christ here at Westridge that we would run victoriously together in a way that inspires others. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed today. I wonder if there's anybody here that you've never gotten onto God's path. You've not gotten onto that clearly marked way that Jesus has made for all of us. He made that path when he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And when he was risen from the dead, he blazed that trail for all of us to be able to follow. And if you're here today and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, the one that died on the cross for your sins and made the path, I would ask you to pray to him right now. Pray in your own words, say, God, I understand just a little about this Jesus, but I understand enough that he was your son that you sent him to die for me and that he rose from the dead for me. And God, today I accept that by faith. I want to get on your path. If you prayed anything like that today, I would ask you to let us know if you still have your connection card, you could take a moment and we would really like for you to do this. Take a moment, fill it out, take it to our help center at the end of the service today. They can help direct you to somebody who'll help get you started on the path in the right way. If you wanna come and talk to one of our life care counselors at the end of the service, you can do that. Some of you today, you're letting things weigh you down. The scriptures talk about those weights and they've gotten so familiar to you, maybe you didn't even realize how much you had slowed. Whether it's in your seat or at these stairs, at this stage this morning, I want to challenge all of us. God told me as a communicator, laid on my heart as a communicator, as a pastor this morning, to go through that list for a reason. Some of you need to lay aside those weights and you need to do it this morning. You don't need to carry them out of here anymore. And I want to challenge you right now before God to lay aside the weight. You can do it in your chair if you need help doing that. Come on down come on down and make a statement by laying your weight down before God. And may we all run together a race in such a way that we've never run it before. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our convictor. Lay on our hearts what we need to do and give us the power and the strength to run the path that's been marked.